This is a download from the Wireless Theatre Company. Battle Cries by Jane Downs. Have the poets left anywhere in need of patching? Or did you, after imaginings, recognize her abode? O abode of Abla in Al-Jawahi, speak! Morning greetings, abode of Abla. Peace. There is a storm coming. You can feel it in the wind, in the grains of sand that whip in from the sea. Heavy as lead. Its name is whispered in the marketplace carried by children in the skins of stolen oranges. The first of the year's fruit is unseasonably bitter. My son is rarely home. He skits furtively across the yard, his gaze as hard to catch as morning dew. I've told Amina to go. She must leave while the roads are still open while time still stretches forward to a future. She begs me to go too, but my feet are heavy. My shadow etched into this dusty floor as surely as the sun sets far beyond the sea. I cannot leave. You must come with us, mother. You've heard the news. There's no knowing where all this will end. It'll just be for a few months until things settle down again. Come with us. I cannot leave you alone here. I won't be alone, Amina. I must stay. I have the neighbors and Bilaird. Bilaird? Mother, we've not seen him in weeks. He sneaks in at night, leaves gifts of fresh coffee or wild flowers on the table and then disappears again without explanation. Are you staying for him? Please, mother. For all the love I bear him, you cannot rely on Bilet. Not with things the way they are. You must be reasonable. Leave with us. With me and I am. Please. Your granddaughter needs you too, you know. I will not be persuaded. My place is here. I know no other home. I need to see, to hear, to touch this city, to share its sorrow as I have its joy. I am too old for journeys, too heavy to take along. I will not go. Are there dolls? Where are we going, Mama? Do they have dolls? Father has promised me a new doll when we arrive, and a big box of sweets. What do they have there, Mama? Do they have baklava? Lukum! Will Father buy me lukum? Will he, Mama? I was one of the lucky ones. My husband was already working abroad, so I had a place to go. A bright new life to step into. Yes, it was a foreign country, and I was running away. But it was safe. 
and back then that was all that mattered. I had to think of my daughter. There was no time to be frightened. We packed hurriedly. I am enthralled at the prospect of travel, was hopping from foot to foot. Here, Mama. We must take this. It's for the journey. Grandmother says we'll be hungry. It's a loaf she baked herself, and it'll remind us of home. Here, we mustn't forget it. Slowly, I am. We cannot take everything. We have a long road ahead, and our bags are already heavy. But what about Aisha? We have to take Aisha. Is there room, Mama? Say there's room. We can't leave her behind. She's my favorite doll, aren't you, Aisha? You want to come along, don't you? Can we, Mama? Can we take her? She'll be very well behaved. I am rushed around excitedly, helping to tie up bundles, stuffing large boxes of my mother's dates and jars of thick golden honey into the whole doll. But when we reached the bus station, it already resembled a displaced person's camp, cluttered with boxes, carts, animals, with families stretched out on dusty blankets. I think this was where the fear began. With the running feet, the fists of money thrust in faces, the high-pitched wails of babies shooting out above the din. Lilbar! Lil Khudud, Lil Shark, to the sea, to the border, to the east. Where are you heading, lady? You want a bus? A taxi? I'm going east, east to the border. Can you take us? 500 dirham. There's a red bus about to leave. You must pay everything now, and the girl goes on your knees. Lil Khudud, hands me a dirham. Wait, I can pay. Here. Here's 600 for your trouble. 600, I say. Come on, Ayam, we must hurry. Which, which bus is it? The red? Did you say the red? Come on, I am. Leave the bag. Just leave it. We haven't time. Run, run, Habibi. The bus is pulling away. You had set your mind on parting, yes, but only on a night darkened in cloud where your mounts bridled. The fear I felt no more than the pack camels of her clan, among the tents, champing on the kimkim berries. Forty-two milk camels, as black as the inner wing feathers of the blackest crow. She takes your heart with the flash edge of her smile, her mouth sweet to the kiss, sweet to the taste, fragrant as an untouched meadow, bloom and grass sheltered in the rain, untrodden, unlittered, hidden. Here, O Mahmad, have some cake. It was the last on Abu Ziyad's shelf this morning. Mm. <laughs> Even flour is starting to become scarce. A sweet treat will raise both our spirits. <laughs> it is a sad time. Our children leaving, no knowing when they'll be back. We can but pray for their safe return. Huh? It is a sad time indeed. I couldn't bear to say goodbye. Amina says they will travel to the border by bus, and from there, God willing, they will be met and taken to the city. Rest assured, Ambeled, the roads east are still safe. They say there are protests, but there's no talk of violence. These students are angry, but you know the young. Their ardor will soon die down. Mark my words, they will soon find better occupations. Their passions flower and die like desert blooms. So you say, but I hear the children. 
the schoolboys and their chants. They call and giggle. It will come to no good. Slogans have appeared on the walls, scrawled in chalk or daubed in paint. And have you been to the market? The news is not good, and tempers are frayed. There is nothing affordable to buy. The prices have soared, and people complain that salaries are not being paid. I was there this morning. Abu Riel unloaded a crate of plump, white grapes, bright as glass baubles they were. And in a moment, he was surrounded by women, tasting, prodding, weighing fat bunches in their hands, turning the fruit on their fat tongues. Hey, mister, where'd you find them, eh? The president's garden. <laughs> in his mistress's kitchen, eh? They must have cost you. She doesn't sell her goods for cheap, that's for sure. What do you pay? Do you pay in gold? Or did it cost you your manhood? <laughs> They're from the finest vines in the country, that's all I'll say, madam. Tended by the softest hands and fed from the freshest springs. The envy of the nation! Ladies, ladies, as God's my witness, they're got by honest means. I risked my neck to get them here, and you won't find better. Sweet as honey they are. You'll not see the like again in this town for a while. Treat yourself, sisters. The boss himself will soon be weeping at the memory of such delights. I'll give you a good price. Go on, sisters, taste them. Like honey they are. Are we to get fat on honey now, eh? Curse you, man. Are your wits with the devil? Look about you. There's no flour for bread, no meat, no rice, man. Take them back to that she-wolf. Let that floozy choke on them. They're not for the likes of us. You'll find no buyers here. At evening and at dawn, she travels on a pillow, while I spend the night on a bridled black stallion. Our journey got longer by the hour. At first, we steamed along slick tarmac highways, past the stadium, the National Museum, the tall new apartment blocks and villas of the Nouveau Riche. These smart suburban trappings of our city stood in proud salute on every side. But further on, well beyond the town, the roads had been shelled and we were forced onto dusty, rugged tracks. At Al Ayan, we arrived at the checkpoint where young soldiers ordered our bus to a halt. Everybody out, quickly. Prepare your papers, all of you. You are traveling alone? Yes, well, no, I mean, it's just me and my daughter. No one else? No husband? Brother? No. Where are you going? Do you have a permit? I, a, a permit? Uh, I, I don't think so. Nobody said anything about the permit. You must have a permit. Without it, you cannot pass. But I have to. My husband is expecting me. Wait. Here. I have some money, some food, perhaps... Are you trying to buy me, sister? You think you can buy your way through? Forgive me. It wasn't my intention. You are an honorable man, I can see that. 
but please, a donation. Take it, I beg you. Thank you. May God keep you safe. Let them pass. Yalla, let them go. The hot sun streamed in through the naked windows, and the engine burnt loudly in our ears. A.M. slept most of the way, lying splayed and clammy in my lap. Our provisions soon began to run low. Mother's plump, fat loaves, so lovingly wrapped in starched white linen, were torn greedily into chunks and shared with our fellow travelers. But as it turned out, our problems were only just beginning. Where are we? We could be anywhere. I suppose we will just have to continue on foot. We must just take what we really need. The nomads will sell the rest. I am, come and pick up your backpack. We're going to walk for a while. And I need you to be a good grown-up girl and help me carry the most important items. Will you help Mama, Habibi? Yes, Mama. She watered at El Dahrudain, then veered four quarters pulling, turning aside from the water holes of Dailam. I will not be persuaded. Al-Rahman, Al-Rahim, Al-Malik, Al-Qudas. To calm my nerves, I recite one by one the 99 names of our Creator. And with every one the sound rises, rolling through the city, getting closer like a storm. Young men ooze onto the streets, seeping into the square like thick black oil, chanting slogans, waving banners. for revolution. There are protests almost every day now, which so far have been met by only eerie silence. From the doorstep, I shake my fist in vigorous support. As I watch, a young man in T-shirt and flip-flops streaks away from the throng. Blazes like a burning torch and is followed as he runs by his friends, bright, proud flags streaming behind them. Praise me as you knew me, manner easy until wronged. Given wrong, I give it back, rough as a taste of bitter apple. I am known when the hot hours come to be drinking wine. Laying down a minted coin, a tawny luster from a goblet of banded glass. We walked for several days, encountering only shepherd boys and groups of haughty grazing camels. Daytime was hot, the nights freezing, and our makeshift shelters of plastic bags and discarded clothes did little to protect us from the elements. We prayed that we would come to a settlement a military outpost or Bedouin camp, but signs of life were scarce. Look, Mama! Up there in the sky! A plane! Are they coming to get us, Mama? Are we going home, Mama? Tell them, Mama! Tell them we're here! Over here! Hey! Hey! We're here! Hey! We are here! Hey! They didn't stop, Mama! Why didn't they stop? Did they see us? 
I don't know, Habibi. I don't know. We are so small. They are so far away. Maybe they will come back. <laughs> Coming back, my foot. Haven't you heard? There are no more planes, no more flights. Only foreigners, rich men from the refineries can fly out now. They're not coming for us. They're running away. Gone. And good riddance, I say. We could see the great plumes of filthy smoke puffing away on the horizon. Thick, dark mushrooms of cloud tumbling out into the day. Our frenzied waving was in vain. The plane would not be coming back. We were left to ourselves, to the blazing expanse of the desert. A place we only knew from textbooks, from geography lessons and brightly colored charts, in which rainfall was only pretty academic calculation. Okay, children, settle down. Open your books to page eight. Let's have some quiet. Thank you. Now, we have been studying the geography of Africa. Yes, the Sahara Desert is often said to be the largest dry desert in the world. It is located in northern Africa. We came from the city, from the coast, where rain blew in from the sea, painting the parks in fleshy pinks and English greens, light, frothy bursts of decadent colour, like the decoration on the cakes in Abu Zayed's window. What did we know of the desert? What did we know of the raw sand that whips across the skin like razors? Of the wind, its howling fury unchecked by buildings or the thick unbending legs of deep-rooted trees? With what arms could we defend ourselves against the scorching earth, the thick, unmoving air, which with every breath scoured our eyes and parched our throats? Only thorny plants and hard-backed insects, prehistoric in their horny shells, can thrive in such a place. Why not ask your horseman, daughter of Malik, if what you do not know is beyond you? How I clung to the saddle of a surging stallion, a charger, wound-weary, taken on by warriors one on one. Now in midfield, exposed for the run of a spear, now drawn back behind an endless harvest of blows, let the battle witnesses let you know how I rush into the dust roar blindly and then hold back from the spoils. Even the animals are hungry. The schools, the banks, the pharmacies are all closed. They no longer collect the post. Few people venture out. The streets are left to dogs which root around the rotting garbage, raising clouds of fat, heavy flies. They say there are bodies in the streets, but no one dares to take a look. The violence took us by surprise. The government's fury meted out by bands of wild-eyed, nervous young men. I saw an old man yesterday, quite bent with age, beaten with guns and kicked into the dust like a piece of trash. His galabaya, red with dirt, was torn indecently from his back, his buttocks bare for all the world to see. 
What has become of us? Is there no trust? No room for compassion? Their brutality has cut us off from our own. They are not of this world. May God protect us. How many a weapon shrouded warrior whose approach is ruin, inexperienced in fleeing or surrender, have my hands awarded the quick thrust of a tempered, well-joined straightened spear, gashing him open, the gurgling of his wound, guiding through the darkness, hunger-worn wolves in search of prey. Can you tell me your name? Yes, I am Amina, Amina Al-Khomsi. This is my daughter, I am. That's great. Thank you, Amina. Are you traveling with anyone else? A husband, a parent? No, it is just the two of us. My mother wouldn't come and my husband, he's in Egypt. There are so many things we take for granted. So many tiny everyday luxuries that go unnoticed. A bar of soap, a warm bed, a cup of cool water. When we first arrived at the camp, it was these simple comforts that gave rise to rejoicing. But as the days passed, we were faced with the reality of uncertainty, of dispossession. Devoid of any pressing occupation, we wondered what had become of our loved ones, of our homes, of the boys who once called us names until they grew too shy to meet our eyes. In those idle hours under a donated tent, my own mind wandered to the past remembering the smells and sounds of childhood. I could smell the burnished scent of henna in Mama's room, could recall with absolute clarity the crack in the tile by the back door, where Bilaird had dropped the heavy cooking pot, and the look on my terrified mother's face as she heard her son scream. Protective as ever, she was sure he'd lost his toes. I could still picture the coarse line of that crack, could feel its rough surface on the soles of my feet as I tiptoed into the kitchen after dark to sneak a bite of sweet canaf. And I pictured my brother, barefoot and flushed with shame, scampering into the yard, fleeing my mother's scolding. I wonder where he was now, my gawky, ungainly great stalk of a brother his face chewed in determined defense of his ideals. How often we had sat on the back step, arguing endlessly over rights and beliefs. How often he had stormed off, hot-headed, his narrow shoulders drawn up around his ears, his shaggy hair a refuge from a world that could not understand him. Bilaird was sure to have been in the thick of it, scribbling frantically somewhere, devising slogans and laying plans. We got so little news in the camp, rumors spread like infection. We could only guess at what was really going on. I had long been slack in my prayers, yet back there, afraid and idle, I bent my body in supplication, seeking refuge from the torments of my mind. 
I split through his breastplate with a hard, cold blade. The spear tip holes unviolate to stout-hearted brave, and left him carrion to be torn apart, skull to rest by rustling predators. And how many a coat of mail on how many a famous protector of his own has my sword unseen? And how many a thrower of the gaming arrow in winter gold fast-handed, captor of a tavern's banner ill-reputed, upon seeing me dismounted, searching him out has bared his molars in what was not a smile? I ran him through with a spear, then drove down upon him with a wetted, unalloyed Indian sword. They have cut the electricity. I do not mind the dark. It soothes me. I am old enough to remember the kerosene lamp. How my mother fled the first electric bulb for fear of the gin. We do not feel this extra deprivation. Each new indignity. Each new humiliation only fuels the people's resolve and strengthens our young men's determination. They say the blackout is the execution hour, the time when men are taken from their homes, when they are led bound and blindfolded out into the night, never to return. I hear them in the darkness, each sound as vivid as a picture. Telco, please don't let them hurt him. Don't let them take my son, I beg you. I wait until the silence comes and tap gently on the wall. Um Ahmad. Um Ahmad. It is I, Um Bilard, your neighbor. Um Ahmad, don't be afraid. It is I. Um Ahmad? Um Ahmad? She does not answer. We have become afraid of our own words, can no longer seek the consolation of friends. As the day spread out, he lay before me, head and fingertips as if smeared with indigo dye. They tell me Amir is ungrateful for the gift I gave him. Thanklessness rots the soul of the giver. Never will I forget my father's brother's forenoon warning, lips pulled back from the flash of his mouth. As the whirl of death dragged champion after champion down with no complaint but a swallowed groan. One, two, three, you try. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Shall we go higher? Let's try going higher. It felt like family, or a good second best. Were it not for these strangers who clothed and fed us, we would not have made it. For I am, it was a game. Another new scene in a world unfolding before her. But for me, it was a gap, an empty space, a place where life stood still, 
waiting for a new rhythm, a new motor to move it along. And then finally, one day, it eventually came. They had tracked down Omar and arranged for Ayam and I to travel to the capital to meet him. We gathered our belongings for the journey. Here, Rashida, keep the radio. Though the signal is not good, these, these old songs will lift your spirits when things get bad. Huh? They can't take our dreams, remember? Always. Thank you, Amina. We will miss you so much. I'll have to hide the radio from father, though, or he'll wear out the batteries with Quranic recitations. <laughs> Stay strong. He's not easy, I know, but he is your family. God willing, you two will be reunited someday soon. I will pray for you. Not you too, Amina. My father on his knees all day is as much as I can take. <laughs> A husband to greet you. I must try not to be jealous. Do you think he will recognize me, though? It's been almost a year. Have I become too thin, too dark? My mother would raise her hands in horror at the sight of me, I know. My body feels so tough, so hard. My hair is like straw. I would so like to look nice to greet him, to smell of jasmine and rose water, have hair sleek with oil. Come, Amina. Let me comb and braid your hair for you. We will make you into a desert princess. Don't let these plastic sheets and dusty mats, these food rubbers with their foreign names, deceive you. This is Rashida's traveling beauty parlor. Come, sit yourself here. We will spend our last afternoon as sisters <laughs> and make you as fresh and beautiful as a bride on her wedding night. I was sad to go. That small community of refugees with whom we had shared so many harrowing, intimate moments had come to mean so much. It felt disloyal to leave them there with no prospect of either returning home or of moving on. I looked around at the children playing in the dirt, the men sleeping and women patching worn out clothes and I gathered Ayem to me, holding her tight. We were ready. I knew that when they met us, there'd be a blow that would snap the nuzzled head from a sleeping bird. When I saw them all approaching, inciting one another on, I wheeled about but incurred no blame. Anta'ara, they cried, their spears like well ropes netting the forechest of my deep black stallion. I hurled him, head blazed, the breastbit again and again upon them until he was shirted with blood. With four quarters from the spearfall twisting away, he complained to me through tears and snorting. Had he known how to speak, he would have protested. Had he known to use words, he would have let me know. He was a good man, you know. Uh, forgive me, I, I shouldn't have. There's no harm done. The memory of him soothes me. But he was a reckless boy, foolish. He could have done so much, made something of himself, but Bilad would never be told. Will you be all right, Haja? 
Is there anything I can get you? Thank you. I will be fine now. You have done enough, but wait a moment. Take this for your trouble. Really, it's not necessary. I don't need any. Please, I know you can use it. Take it. Put it to good use. He was a brave fighter. There is no shame in that. No shame, no. But life is a blessing, a gift. He always preferred books to footballs or toy guns. From the moment he could speak, he carried the weight of words like a burden. Every sound, every phrase had a hidden value that only he could see, that was to be measured, carefully considered before it could be released out into the world. He denied himself so many pleasures, always living for a cause. How did it come to this? How is it that he should come to be slaughtered like some worthless animal? I felt his presence many times these last few months. He was near, so often so near. Why did he not come? I would have held him close, listened smoothed his wayward hair. Was it fear for me that kept him away so long? I would have risked my life a thousand times over and over just to hold my son, to see him standing alive and angry and foolish in the yard. Why did he not come? I am sorry, Hadja. Let me fetch you some water. It has been a long day. It was Ma'ari who came with the news. Hajj Ma'ari, whom I've known all my life. When I was a child, our fathers played dominoes in the tea house, putting the world to rights over thick black coffee and a water pipe. He said nothing. He didn't need to. The city was empty and quiet, garbage blowing about like sailboats. He led me to the grave. To be led. Such cruelty. Such violence. All bloody and thick with flies. Half dressed. Tossed to the bottom of some muddy hole and his face. His beautiful face, bruised and purple. Please, Haja, 
Try to calm yourself. No one has been spared. It would have been vain to hope it could have been otherwise. I pray for your soul, son, for the souls of all our men, for our country. May God be merciful. It is time you left. You have been very kind. May God keep you safe. Goodbye, Hajja. Allahu yasalmik. God be with you. My soul was cured of his sickness and restored by the cries of the horsemen. Anta'ara on. Riding camels respond to my call. My heart is my companion. Wherever I wish to go, I urge it on with a firm command. I received a letter this morning and knew at once. After so many months of waiting, of watching the news and hearing vague rumors, the arrival of a crisp white envelope addressed in a foreign hand could only mean one thing. My hand trembled as I opened it. Dear Miss Alhomsi, we regret to inform you that the body of your brother, Bilad al-Asawi, was found and identified on April 21st. He had sustained multiple injuries. Whilst the exact cause of death cannot at this time be determined, there is evidence that he had been tortured. I had known it would be him all along. Strangely, I'd never really feared for my mother. She had a resilience, a rooted, sturdy solidity that exempted her from worldly harm. It was Belaird I'd been worried for. Belaird who had haunted my dreams. His feline stealth and sharp intelligence making him a target for the authorities. I'd known he was involved from the start. My little brother, whose proud eyes would flash in indignation at any perceived injustice, would never be silenced. <laughs> With his slight frame and nerdy glasses, he should have been the butt of the other boys' jokes, but Belaird had always inspired a certain awe in his peers. He was smart. A whiz at chess. He had a strategic mind and could outwit the sharpest opponent. He would have made a great tactician or leader even with his dedication to his ideals. Perhaps that was why they feared him. They knew he would never lie down. The letter went on to say that his body was discovered by local villagers in a shallow pit, approximately 15 kilometers north of the city, 
along with the remains of some 119 other civilians. I cannot bear to think of him like that. Do not dare to imagine all that must have gone before. It is too painful. So, and so I return to those memories of childhood, to the picture of my little brother in the yard running from that fallen pot. He was so innocent then, so bold, and afraid of nothing more than our mother's naked palm. I feared I would die before the wheel of war turned down over the two sons of Dumbo, who slandered me though I never did the same, bowing blood if I failed to meet them, let them. I left their father, Garion for the lion, and the grey-faced bird of prey. You have been listening to Battle Cries by Jane Downs, directed by Emma Hearn, with Navid Khan as poet and Bilaird, Fiz Marcus as mother and aid worker, Alisa Kiria as Amina and Am Ahmad, Daniel Rodriguez as revolutionary, vendor, ticket tout, checkpoint guard, male voice, protester soldier too, and Ahmad, and Nadia Nadif as Ayem, Woman in the Market, Rashida, and a school teacher. Battle Cries was recorded at Unity Studios, London, and engineered by Carlos Zicarelli. Produced by Marielle Runaker Temple. Visit wirelesstheatrecompany.co.uk for more audio theatre downloads. <laughs>